Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Dunzo. This is a podcast that explores hookups and breakups of famous lovers and friends, both real and fake, and all the discarded pop culture of yesteryear. I'm your host, Troy McKeady. You guys, welcome to this special New Year's Day. I believe it would be New Year's Day when you hear this episode of Dunzo. Tis me, Troy McKeady. And I am so fucking excited about this episode. It's been in the works for many weeks. And it's finally happening. This is a big deal. And there's a big guest here. I can't think of a person that I'd rather be closing the year out with. I am joined today by my brethren, (laughs) my Canadian brother, Russ Martin. Russ, how are you? Troy McKeady, happy motherfucking new year. I'm awful. How are you? Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, the last time that I did uh, Dunzo with you was at the beginning of quarantine when I sent you a text and was like, hey, can I come on the podcast? I don't have anyone to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this is literally like, if I didn't have this, I would be full Demi Moore like rocking in my 80s to me more rocking in my room with like curtains blowing like I don't even know what my life would be so trust me I get it I mean you're more or less describing my life so that is what my life would be (laughs) (laughs) an 80s like coked out Demi like lace lace fingerless gloves it's an aesthetic um how was your Christmas uh, my Christmas was actually wonderful. I was very, very, very sad that I did not get to go home uh, to the prairies to see my family. And instead of just being so sad about it, I was getting high and listening to one of the albums that is on my list uh, that we are going to go through for this pop music year in pop. You've read the episode description episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was getting high and dancing around my kitchen and cooking, uh, or baking uh, cookies. And I came up with this like galaxy brain idea to make these little boxes of baking to bring around to other queers in uh, Toronto where I live and drop them off all day on Christmas Day uh, for people that I knew were also in isolation or doing some form of uh, self-quarantine during the Christmas. Your boxes are so cute. Where did you find those little like hieroglyphic boxes? Uh, From the side of the dollar store that isn't the Christmas. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's just the regular stock. Uh, they were, yeah, they're uh, really shiny and wonderful. Yeah. How was your Christmas? You were with your mom, right? It was about the same. Like my mom and I had a real limited interaction and it was just like super, it felt really isolating. But then like halfway through it, I was like, I kind of did the same thing. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be productive. I'm going to cook. I'm going to clean. Like I'm going to get rid of old things. Like I just like tried to stay busy all day. And then I, yeah, it's ended up getting really high and like listening to these, to these albums, to be honest, we kind of had the same, the same day. Um, but yeah, I, at the end of the day, I was like, that was fine. Yeah. Like, it's more just like the pressure of feeling like you need to be 
doing something on those days that makes you that makes it feel more isolating when you're not yeah yeah and you live alone like I do right yeah exactly so this year has been absolutely insane for people who live alone and work alone and yeah blah 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 uh before we get into like the most depressing place ever let's talk about the things that lifted us up this year (laughs) (laughs) pop music 2020 was the worst year ever for everything like except for pop music yeah so i've been i've been dying to ask you how how do you think the pandemic either like helped benefit pop music or made it worse like what did the what did the pandemic do to pop music this year do you think i think that it changed the commercial parameters around the girls when i was compiling the top five albums that i'm gonna bring to the table today i noticed that there was a bit of a theme of the girls getting to do either what they want or in my mind like what they're supposed to be doing Mm -hmm. rather than album that they think that they can tour or they think that they can like get the money back on in some way because mm-hmm. the way that music or the way that money is made in the music industry has had to shift a lot this year. And a lot of the albums that I loved this year, I think were what people just really wanted to make or needed to make artistically. How did you feel about the year? I totally agree with that. I think it really separated the the girls from the women in the sense that like, you know, you couldn't, the girls couldn't rely on the classic sort of industry tropes to push their albums for them. And if they were even able to make an album, because even just making music had to be done in this like weird sort of creative, isolated, you know, Zoom kind of way. Um, And I think it was really interesting to see all the different ways that people decided to be creative and still releasing music and it made it more, I don't know if I would say it made it more exciting, but it ma- it was just an interesting thing to observe, you know, to yeah. watch people either sort of like succumb to it and just retreat and like not even be like, I'm just out until this is figured out. Or people like Gaga who released full giant albums with giant rollout and giant production and had a, a ton of money put into it. You know, just the difference in how they would have normally done it, I think was interesting. Yeah, and some really, really rose to the occasion, and others I have some criticisms of. Uh, But overall, I think that this might have also just been one of those years where things clicked into place with the music calendar. Like, there are years that lots of big albums come out, and then there are years that just, like, aren't the hugest. You know, there's the Mm. years when you have the Grammys and you're like, well, Beyonce's not here, Rihanna's not here, Adele's not here, where are the girls? Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, this year I had written down a year that we have talked about before on this podcast. I want to say that I think 2020 is the best year in mainstream top 40, the girls pop music since 2013. I, I honestly, I'd have to agree with you. I really like, do. So 2013 was the year that art pop came out, pure heroin, uh, nighttime, my time, a favorite of the two of us, <laughs> uh, random access memories, bangers, and Beyonce self-titled like that was a huge year where everyone was just putting out these massive albums that had a big impact on the commercial market and had big cultural conversations around them. And I actually think that against all reasoning that 2020 ended up being one of those years for this type of music. 
Yeah, I 1000% I agree with that. And I, I also think it was good because the pandemic forced a lot of the girls to kind of work out the kinks. Like they all sort of like blinkoed into place, it feels like, and like where they were supposed to be. It felt like a lot of the girls maybe wouldn't have ended up where they did end up this year, but it was for the best, if that makes sense, creatively. Yes, yes, I absolutely agree. Also, when we say girls, we mean women. And when we say yeah. girls, we don't mean men because we don't stand men in this household. <laughs> oh, they know. I mean, it's like, they know. When I say the girls, it's like, I literally mean the entire industry of all women. <laughs> it just means the girls. Um, well, I have, oh, so I go have, ahead. I have two caveats that I want to give to the listeners before we go through each of our top five albums, which like have a chance of being the exact same five albums because we share a brain, but we have not told each other yet, which is very exciting. But I do have two caveats that I would love to put on the table. Sure. The first is that I'm a real basic white gay and mine are all very basic white gay artists and albums and I have a couple things that I think are really cool and amazing that are just if I could sneak in afterwards to talk about a couple other songs I would love to mention a couple that are outside of this but mine are so basic and white well here's the thing I'm first of all I also have a lot of um I don't have a lot but I have some after that I do want to like give honorable mention to but like I, the thing that I want to preface is, is saying is like, this is not like a Rolling Stone definitive best albums of the year list. This is just Russ and I's albums that made us feel stuff in a pandemic. Yes, yes, yes. That's it. Like, this is just feelings. These are things. This is not like, this is not going to uh, interfere with Pitchfork's album r- reviews this year. Like, this is just me and Russ clucking, really, mostly. This is uh, what Russ and Troy think that the girls are up to. <laughs> Yeah, like it's just us doing what we normally do all day long, except into a microphone. Um, Uh, My my second caveat is my absolute favorite album of the year is one that I did not put on. And it's an album that we have spoken out about a lot and talked about a lot when it came out. Uh, Fiona Apple's Fetch the Bolt Cutters, I think it's such a singular piece of work that is so interior and beautiful and emotional that it's just not like it's in a different lane. Fiona's off on her own. Did you put Fiona on your list? I didn't even bother to put her on the list because I, yeah, I felt like she was above even being on the list. It just feels like that is truly the definitive album of 2020. Like, I mean, it's just, it's above, it's above the list. It's above the list. That's all I can say. Yeah, when I think of this year and the feelings that I felt this year, I will think of Fetch the Bolt Cutters. That album will always bring me back to this place for better and for worse, but the music itself is near fucking perfect. I agree with that. I feel like in 10 years when I look back at the pandemic and I think about what I was doing, that album will be a part of that memory. And like that, I think says something, you know? It's gonna live with me in the bones. Totally. Um, so yeah, so Russ and I, we have a top five and then we have a couple um, honorable mentions for post top five and we're just kind of going to like go back and forth and I'm sure that we'll have some similar ones and the ones that we have in common, we can just, we can just riff and discuss. Fantastic. You go first. Okay. So I'm going to start with the one that everybody is either expecting me to start with or um, if you haven't picked it up by now, I am now a stan. They'll, maybe they'll be shocked that I'm starting with. Obviously, I'm starting with Taylor Swift. Okay, all right. Okay. 
And I'm also counting Folklore and Evermore as the same album because they are. Let's be honest. Okay. Controversial decision. Talk to me more about that. I just feel like Evermore is, I feel like this could have honestly been a double disc. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's not really like a thing that people do anymore, but like this could have easily just been like a double album. Honestly, it's it's just a continuation of folklore, like in the best way. Like it's, I, I, I can't pick a favorite between the two because I like them both so much. And I couldn't, I don't think that I could pinpoint why I like one more than the other because they feel so much the same to me. Interesting. I feel very differently. Ooh, tell me. I think that Folklore is a very accessible album. It's a very pop album. There are a lot of hooks on it. When I listened to the songs on Folklore for the first time, I immediately knew that there were songs that had instant replay value and there were lines that immediately got stuck in my head. I think that the imagery in the songwriting and the lyrics is a lot more vivid on Folklore Mm -hmm. and Evermore feels much more abstract and much more like a mood piece and much more like something that requires listening to almost start to finish. Whereas Folklore has these songs that are just huge for me. Uh, And I like Folklore a lot, lot, lot better. Really? Oh, okay. That's interesting. I do agree with you though. I think I've heard a lot of people say that their appreciation for Evermore is tied to the fact that Folklore sort of broke them into the idea. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that I would like, I don't think I would have loved Evermore if Folklore hadn't broken me in. So I do agree with that. I guess there is... You're right. Evermore is more, um, Folklore does feel like more of like a big giant album. It feels like an album, whereas Evermore feels like a continuation of an album in a completely different way. Um, yeah, you're right. That kind of changes my opinion of it. But I do, I do still, I, I do view them as a singular. In my mind, they're still yes. just like a singular piece of work. I totally get what you're saying like that. And uh, once again, Taylor Swift remains just incredibly good at explaining her art. Yeah. And when she explained in the post announcing announcing Evermore that she was walking further into the folklorian woods or whatever she said, mm-hmm. it made a lot of sense that this is further down the type of music that they were making on folklore. And in many things, I in many ways, I think that Evermore is the album that music people were discussing when folklore came out. Yeah, totally with the national and with the uh, the people who worked on the album and the way it was sort of discussed as a, a quote unquote indie rock album i mm. think that evermore sounds more like that is it like phoebe bridgers that kind of sound that people accused her of biting off of a little bit mm-hmm. i think that evermore is much more actually living in that place whereas folklore is much more accessible and top 40 and commercial than I think Evermore is. Well, so I have to ask you because you and I have had many a conversation about Taylor Swift on this podcast, and this is the first time you've ever been uh, totally, totally like in on a Taylor album completely. So what was it about folklore that spoke to you so much, do you think? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. 
Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I haven't been in, I've only ever been in on one Taylor Swift album. I think that uh, 1980, my, I always confuse it with my birthday. It's 1989. I'm 1988, <laughs> as are you. Yeah. I was so in on 1989 and I haven't been in since 1989, but this is a sound that I believe from Taylor. Mm. I think that's what it is. I think that this is, one of the albums in which I think this is the music that Taylor Swift should be making at this point in her life. It doesn't have all of those really irritating little quips that are hidden on, or not hidden, they're like on the lead tracks for uh, the albums like Lover and Reputation. There's a lot of irritating little sing-song joke raps and lyrics that just feel really juvenile it's like looking at a junior clothing line in a department store and i feel like we have finally put taylor fully into the adult section of that department store does that make sense is that a weird metaphor no not at all i totally get what you mean um i've been saying well i've been saying in my head that so as a as a person who is like i'm a really big fan of taylor's albums from 1989 on, mm-hmm. I, I don't know a lot about pre-1989 Taylor, but I have listened to Red. And as an outsider, as somebody who has no no real, like who, somebody who like really shouldn't have an opinion because I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But as a real big fan of those, that like string of albums, I think 1989 is almost like this first chapter where I feel like reputation and lover and all those albums sort of spider graph off of 1989 and I feel like this is almost like a new book like this is like I feel like folklore has set Taylor up for the next literally honestly like the next decade of her career because 100% yes you know the fact that people are receptive to her a writing music that isn't technically about herself is Mm -hmm. huge that is major in Taylor Swift's career and b the fact that she's doing, like you said, this is an album that feels like it was just something she wanted to do. This is the closest I think she's ever come to having like a Madonna reinvention era because it just feels so natural to where she just so happens to be in her life at the moment. And it wasn't, this isn't a call and response to Katy Perry or Kanye West. And this isn't about her having to respond to tabloids about her relationships or any of that bullshit. This is just a piece of work that she wanted to make that is super random and uh, and speaks to where she is right now. And I think it's, I, I think it's the best work of her career. I think this album makes the, I think this album for people who debate whether or not they believe Taylor Swift is talented, I think this album sort of like ends that conversation because if you listen to this album and the lyrics and the songwriting is mind blowing it's so good 
anyone who debates whether or not Taylor Swift is talented is an idiot. I mean, honestly, I agree. You can absolutely think that she's a horrible person. And in fact, I might. Uh, I can dislike Taylor Swift or find things about her really Mm off-putting, but she is a damn good songwriter. Yeah. And I don't think that anyone can ever truly take that away from her. She's not an amazing vocalist. There are things that she's not as good at as some of her contemporaries or peers or those who have come before her, but she is a a damn good songwriter. I think for me, thinking about Taylor in the albums that we both have listened to, that is her pop star career. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. is her stepping into her own as a pop star on 1989. And then moving forward with that. And there was a moment in uh, Miss Americana. That's the name of the documentary, right? Mm -hmm. There's a moment in Miss Americana when she very astutely talks about aging in pop and how Mm -hmm. she's approaching the period in which they're not going to play her on the radio. Yeah. And I think that this was a brilliant move for saying, I don't need the radio. Yeah, that's so I true. I don't need to be a pop star anymore. I'm motherfucking Taylor Swift. I can yeah. write a record. Yeah, and, and it's like, you know, you can't you can't be any bigger of a pop star than Taylor Swift was in, you know, during 1989. I mean, it's really like, even, and she knows that because she's never been able to, to really come close to, the, I mean, just the, how massive that album was and the whole thing was just so like hashtag pop star like her having celebrities come out and sing with her on stage and just the whole thing was so pop so it's like inescapable for people outside of the taylor swift nation totally it was like a world dominating pop album and it's like yeah you can't really get any bigger than that and the smartest thing to do would be to pivot and she's slowly pivoted over time but this is a real like, you know, this is a real nail in the coffin to the pop thing, which I think is like, this is this is Curly Bang's, you know, Joni Mitchell Taylor. <laughs> I think it's also a interesting step towards mainstream country music. Oh, yeah, we got to talk about having, that. Yeah, without having to come out and say the way she did when she made 1989, like, I am a pop star now. I am mm-hmm. no longer a country girl. I'm a pop star. And I... I think that the one card trick left in like her deck has always been her reinvention back to country music. Mm-hmm. And I see her slowly stepping towards that. Like with Lover, it was muted on some of the pop tones and it was more organic instrumentation. And when she moved on to folklore, it's much more like that. And then when you get to Evermore, even more so. Mm-hmm. And then you look at a song like No Body, No Crime. How is that indistinguishable from a Dixie Chick song or from any contemporary big pop country crossover woman in the business? That song totally. could have been handed to any of those girls. Like to a Carrie Underwood could have easily done that. If you hear that song and don't hear Goodbye Earl, you're crazy. 1000%. So I think it's interesting how she has managed to sort of sidestep back towards a type of music that she grew up with and is authentically hers without having to deal with the discourse of Taylor Swift's country again. Right. 
Yeah. And I'm going to, I honestly, I feel like you deserve credit for that because you've literally said on this podcast many times, like Taylor Swift is going to pivot back to country. Like you called this album a year ago. You did. (laughs) Well, and it's interesting. What do you think of the indie rock branding of this year in Taylor's music? I think it's interesting. I think it's, um, I think I have more on that later. Oh, by the way, Russell and I are also going to do, um, our favorite like pop performances of the year. Yes. Um, and I, I do have more on that later, but I do okay. think it's really, I think it's fascinating. I'm, I'm really interested by the branding. I think it's, a, I mean, of course, because it's Taylor, it's like magnificently done. It's, there is not a, a T to be crossed or an I to be dotted. Like, you know, everything is masterful, but I do think it's really fascinating because it does feel, it feels um, like purposeful. You know, like I've, I I have literally been calling this Curly Bangs Taylor. There is nothing that Taylor Swift does that is not purposeful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, hey, you're doing a Taylor episode with Liz Bentley. Is that right? Yeah, we actually recorded it. Okay, amazing. Are you covering some of the same ground? I was just thinking that, uh, is that for uh, Liz Explains? That's where Liz Explains. We okay. mostly, we only really talked about the documentary. Like Liz wanted to kind of stick to cool. okay. talking about that. So um, I was just thinking, yeah, how like this has become the Taylor Swift network. Now. <laughs> now. <laughs> Molly and Nicole have done. <laughs> so funny. It's like, who would have ever thought? Like back in the day when I used to call her Appalachian Princess, I, I never imagine that my podcast would turn into a Taylor Swift Nation podcast, but. Well, and I have come a long way from the last time that we spoke about Taylor Swift. I'm much, much, much more on board, both with the music and the positioning. And mm-hmm. she's not out there saying things that I find off-putting or obnoxious, so. No. Yeah, I mean, I honestly really had to take myself out of, I just found myself being so venomous to Taylor Swift at a certain point. Like it had gotten to a point where I was like, why do I really hate this girl this much? Like (laughs) I really fucking hated her. And then I allowed myself to be open to 1989. And I was like, okay, this has become like a weird bandwagon-y type of thing to be like, she's annoying. I hate it. It's just like the conversation was just so like, there's nothing new being added to it. It's a touch Anne Hathaway. It very, yes. It's like the perfect comparison where it's like, all right, you guys, like we get it. She's fucking annoying. She's she's admitted she's annoying. She's made vu- music videos, making fun of herself for being annoying. I mean, what do you want? You know, are we, are we going to cut the girl's head off and burn her on a cross? Like how, how far is this going to go? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm excited about this and I'm excited to keep listening to it. And I honestly, I'm at a point now, I just got to the point where I listened to it like, all the time I w- it was touch and go for me at the beginning because I wasn't ready for it and I was not in a place of being like I want a folk album I just wasn't in the headspace but now it's growing on me like mold on cheese so yeah uh you know I am Betty and <laughs> bring me a lesbian anthem thank you very much <laughs> um okay you go next Okay, I would love to talk about Plastic Hearts because they're beating. Okay. Cyrus. All right, let's do it. So she is coming is never coming, I guess. <laughs> is, is the, the three-part EP leading up to an LP sort of a, a thing right. going on. Miley's really uh, gone through a journey in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And until Midnight Sky came out, I was on 
pretty shaky ground. I hated the album that had Malibu on it. Yeah. Uh, Younger Now, is that it? Yes. Yes, I'm like, yes, hated it. And have revisited it since this album came out, still hate it. But Plastic Hearts, I think is awesome. There are songs on this record that are up-tempo and brilliant and down-tempo and brilliant great lyrics really cool features i love the covers i'm so 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 into this and the whole joan jet runaways type of blondie sort of influenced look that she is pulling Mm -hmm. i'm just like buying everything that she's selling this time around couldn't agree with you more um this album is also on my list and i feel like you know I've said many times that I think one of the most interesting things about Miley and the thing that makes her one of the most interesting pop stars in the history of pop music is that to come out of the Disney machine and be given the opportunity to literally do whatever you want for 10 years is insane. Like the other girls wish, you know what I mean? So like she was really, really lucky to be able to just kind of like do all this weird you know exploring shit and a lot some of it was very cringe and some of it was really good and some of it was like really inspiring and it was a reminder of how fucking talented she was and then there were moments of it where we're like why are you fucking doing this but at the end of the day it's like I think all those bumps in the road kind of add to the whole Miley journey that like it's like now we've come to understand that like you can't really even look at Miley Cyrus through the lens of a regular pop star because she doesn't have those same sort of restrictions or boundaries. Like she just does whatever, you know what I mean? Like she just does whatever is on her mind. And And I don't know. Some of those moments that were cringe in terms of the music, like the album she made, The Dead Pets uh, Mm -hmm. with Wayne, Wayne Quinn from The Flaming Lips. I thought that that was a really cool album. I loved the performance with like a hundred drag queens that she did at the VMAs Amazing. that year. Yeah, uh, The song Space Boots on there, really worth a listen. Karen, oh. Don't Be Sad. Baby really Talk? Good. Yeah. Come on. I thought that that was a really cool album. And I actually liked the EP that was leading up to She Is Coming. I forget what it was called. She had a weird bitch track with RuPaul on it. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, there was a couple <laughs> of good songs on that. Uh, I will say I have gone back and listened to bits and pieces of every Miley record now. Bangers has not aged well. Not at all. Bangers sounds like, I mean, Bangers is her ex-Tina album where it's like, where, I mean, obviously stripped is like a masterpiece, but it's like, it's a 21 year old girl who's allowed to like do stuff now. And it's yeah. just a fucking That's a very mess. good comparison in the midst of the Christina Aguilera saga that I uh, right. have taken all of us <laughs> listeners on for the past however many weeks. I think that's a very, very good reference, both sonically and in terms of presentation as a pop star and style and dress and revealing nature, playful and sexuality, that sort of a thing. Right. The half of that album that you don't remember isn't great. Like the singles, I still stand by, think they're really good. 
but the other songs on that record, I don't know. I don't think that there is a full front to back Miley Cyrus album that I have ever enjoyed as much as Plastic Hearts. I will say that the thing that I appreciate about Bangers is that it's it's interesting that Miley's career ended up being this like this like mod podge of all these different things because that album is very that. And yes. I remember her, I remember there was like an MTV special or something that had come out with her um, during the release of that album where she said like, I want every single song from this album to be a different genre, a different producers. Like I want this to basically, I want nobody to be able to, to expect what would come next. And that's become such a metaphor for her career. Um, so I appreciate that about it. But yeah, I mean, the that album feels very like, wow, a 21 year old girl made this and she was high the whole time. Yeah, she was smoking a lot of <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's crazy. But no, I, I think that the, uh, I think that where Miley is right now feels like, like it took all of that to get here. Well, another one, like Taylor making folklore, this is the type of music that Miley should be making. And in fact, sounds like a grown-ass woman's version of the music that she was making before Bangers. Mm, yeah, totally. I 1000% agree with that. There's actually more sonic connective tissue between very early Miley and this record than anything in between. I agree with that. Yeah, this does feel... I don't think anybody could look at this or hear it and think like, well, why is she doing this? This just feels like this is exactly, like you said, this is exactly what she should be doing. It's taken us forever to get here, but I don't think she would have done it nearly as well. She just feels like such a, like you said, she feels like a fucking woman. Like she just feels like such a seasoned, like like a, a real artist now. And it feels like she's really learned how to use her voice. And I mean, we all remember that phase of Miley sort of like discovering that she actually has this really weird voice she's got this beautiful raspy strong it has almost a, a hint of masculinity that i really enjoy to it and deeper this, than deeper than mine and mine absolutely <laughs> two of us clucking here like valley <laughs> girls from 1984 entering the seventh grade <laughs> like literally it's much deeper than ours. Miley sure. comes in, she's like this. <laughs> no, I think that this is a spectacular type of music for her voice and for her range. And more than ever before, I think that she sounds powerful. Yeah, she sounds really powerful. And she, I, I like that she's in a place in her career where she's like, because I feel like they used to try and get her to sound like a traditional singer and it was a struggle for her to sound like she didn't have this strangely unique voice and I think post bang I think bangers maybe a little bit but like really with dead pets like she explored that and was like I'm gonna sing as deep as I physically can just for the fucking hell of it just because I can't like I'm gonna do all this weird shit with my voice because it is a literal instrument it's like an instrument that a, a, a hippie made out of like weird things and it just all it just works and like uh, now it just feels like she's so sure of her sound, which is cool. You know, something that pop stars often get criticized for is biting previous work. But I see pop stars like I see drag artists. I think that it's all about referencing. 
Totally. And this is an album where Miley is pulling from references that no one else at the center of pop culture is pulling from. And yeah. you may think that it is a direct ripoff of, say, Debbie Harry, but it's something that feels fresh to young listeners now. Yeah. The type of people that Miley is playing to. And I think that she's doing a really good job of pulling in both aesthetic and sonic references. Mm. And I like that she's doing something that Gaga did quite well with Chromatica as well in just laying the references down on the table. Like you can see very clearly the Blondie in the look, but then you get Billy Idol on the album. You get Joan Jett and the Blackhearts on the album mm -hmm. and then she's clever to add stevie nicks in on the remix because the song sounds so much like what she's ripping off yeah uh, totally and zombie too like all of it i think that that's a really smart thing to do to sort of sidestep around that because everyone is sitting down with a fucking mood board and figuring out what they're going to do and to put those references and bake them right in and maybe introduce your younger fans to those artists whose whole thing you are pulling as inspiration, I think is also really cool and smart. I agree. And more, I have more to say about Miley later when we talk about live performances. Heck yes. <laughs> um, is it my turn? Um, you did Folklore, I did Plastic Hearts. It is now your turn. Okay, so my next album is, and I'm this one is actually thanks to you. Uh -oh. It is, <laughs> it's Charlie XCX, How I'm Feeling Now. Cool! Troy, yeah. that's not on my list, and it was just bubbling. <laughs> Heck yes, this is so exciting. Yeah, it's, and it's like, I honestly, you know, the crazy thing about my relationship to her is that I've never been a full album Charlie XCX girl, if that makes sense. Was it just last year that I was listing off Charlie's songs for you to listen to? Did we do that one year ago when we yeah. did this episode? Yes. Ah. Yeah. And I it, feel it, yeah. like you are just my little baby son and I'm cradling you in my arms. <laughs> I feel swaddled. <laughs> <laughs> I'm falling asleep to the sound of a synthesizer screaming in my ear, but like, I love it. For what, some reason. Why did you respond so much to this album in ways that you hadn't with previous Charlie projects? Well, okay. So I think that as far as like pandemic music, I think it's interesting, even though, you know, we're just approaching like a year of this being a thing. You, you already can break the pandemic down into like these eras, right? Mm -hmm. There's like the toilet paper era. And like, there's all these different eras of the pandemic now that feel like a million years ago. And I think that she released this album during maybe the most interesting time for an artist to be like, this is what I did during the pandemic. You know, like I, I, I made an album about us all being in quarantine and during the time it all felt so new. And for her to release this, this piece of work that she recorded basically in her living room and to write all these songs about being isolated like it just hit really really hard at the time because she was one of the first people to do it i mean on a, you know she was one of the first people to be like hey i released a pandemic album charlie has always been a trailblazer 
in pop in terms of the sounds that she's playing with, in terms of the people that she's collaborating with. And it made total sense, but it was a very ambitious project. Like she turned this out. Did this come out in May? Yeah. Crazy fast. Yeah. And I don't, I can't remember who it is. I wish that I had it off the top of my head, but somebody recently referred to this as uh, how I was feeling then. Yes, yes. That's so smart. It's true. It is. It's like this little bookmark of the pandemic where it was like, wow, that was the beginning when I was like, wow, what is what is this quarantine really going to look like long term? Like, are we going to do this for more than like three months? Really? Like, it was just all so uncertain. And it still is, but it was so different then. Um, And yeah, it just, I just fell in love with it. I I was like, like, my ears were bleeding. I was listening to it so loud. I'm so happy. It has such a cool cover too. Yeah, totally. You know, if you haven't seen it, because podcasting is famously not a visual platform. <laughs> yeah. uh, it is Charlie lying on a crisp white bed and she is wearing just a, a white tank top and a white little set of panties. And she's holding up a camcorder like she is shooting a ceiling. And it's a full pop star sexy moment yeah but it has the intensely closed in interiority that we were all feeling then yeah and yeah she made some really cool music videos as well using green screens and all of that stuff that we hadn't all been seeing yet. yeah uh yeah charlie is just a a, a prophet and a, a futurist in pop music. Totally. And it, it, I remember the feeling of like uncertainty as far as what the entertainment industry would look like. It was like, God, are we going to like, you know, remember that moment of like, they're no longer going to film reality shows. We thought Bravo would run out of TV. We were like, well, maybe they can just air old seasons of Housewives if they can't film shows anymore. Like it was just so uncertain. And I remember when this came out, it was like, okay, so this is a thing that people could do. Like, this is possible. You know, it made it feel like it was still possible for people to make art and for us to not just be sitting here just fucking willowing. (laughs) Like, there will be music still. You know, it was like a very hopeful album too. Yeah, completely. And she did Club Quarantine. Mm. Uh, Have you gone to any Club Quarantine? Not really, no. Okay, so for those who don't know, Club Quarantine uh, is a Zoom party. A paper magazine called it a how to throw a rave at the end of the world. And it started immediately when we all went into quarantine. Yeah. And it's three queers from Toronto who put on this really great party where they bring in DJs and drag performers. And then they started to get that sort of Charlie level of pop star. Mm. And Charlie did a whole big party for the release of this album that was so much fun. And I, at that time, when we were all really losing our minds, remember just putting on this virtual party and rage dancing to this like very kinetic music in my apartment where I had been for three weeks, which at that point was the longest that I had ever been in any room for a period of time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Which feels like quaint to say now that we're so far into this. I was like, well, now I just live in a room and I don't care. My brain's a prison. Like what else Uh, even is there at this point? (laughs) 
<laughs> now I'm worried about going back in society. What are I you know. talking about? Oh my God. Agor- uh, I'm so glad that you put- the house down. <laughs> I'm so glad that you put this on the list. Uh, have you gone back and revisited older Charlie works? Yeah. So I went back, I added all of her albums to my phone and it, like, I knew a lot of her songs, but I didn't yeah. know like all the deep cuts and stuff. You know, I didn't know, like, like I just wasn't a full Charlie XCX album girl. Like I had a bunch of random Charlie songs on my phone and, and she's also one of those girls that's like, you know, she's like a SoundCloud girl in the sense that like, she'll just yeah. put out, you know, maybe four songs randomly for the year. And it's just like, those are, she's got know, projects she's got singles yeah she totally has like places that she stores music that people haven't even heard about right so I, I I just kind of assumed that everybody was like that I was like oh we all just have like a a buffet of random Charlie XCX songs on our phone because she's that girl but then yeah I finally like really indulged and I was really happy I did I will say that at the beginning of listening to this album it made me feel very old and I remember messaging you and being like this is just sounds <laughs> I was like this is just loud noises it made me feel like Hank Hill a little bit at the beginning but yeah. then I got into it it's like you it takes a minute have you looked any further into PC music uh do you not, know what that is no yeah I do now because of okay. her and like I yeah. don't I don't maybe I have and I don't realize you know the band uh, 100 Gex? Yeah, but I don't know any they- of their music really. Okay, I'll, I'll send you a couple songs after this. But it's a big thing that Gen Z music nerds, I guess, would be the most accurate way to describe them. I also yeah, think like 30 yes. <laughs> something bros who are into hip hop are also like, yeah, 100 Gex are cool, whatever. Uh, but it is this music that people who grew up with real phone brain just describes as like, making their brain feel good oh yeah 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 yes you know like the way that we uh actually charlie has you know her song boys yeah she has the sound that sounds like super mario coins in it yes okay making your brain feel good is a really good way to describe it that's what it is yeah uh it's it's a little bit similar to some types of drugs uh, it just like it has a brain body impact that is different than music that people throughout time have listened to. Like it doesn't sound like music. Uh, yeah, it's it's this whole other sort of subgenre. But Charlie is taking those sounds and pulling them into a mainstream pop-ish format, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, Charlie. Love. Gotta love her. Yes, thank you for that. That was a real gift. Oh, I'm so, so happy. <laughs> yeah. Or it's your turn. Okay, mine is Future Nostalgia, Dua Lipa. Tell me everything. Is that on your list? Um, She's not on my list. I took her off my list to add somebody okay. else. We'll talk about it. Great. Okay. Wonderful. Uh, I, I'm just so happy that we don't have the exact same. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, God. <laughs> uh. Future Nostalgia, I went to see Dua Lipa in concert 2019 in the summer, I think. And she wasn't great. I had a lot of fun because her music's great, but she hadn't fully risen as a pop Mm. star. She couldn't dance great. Her choreo was pretty basic. If you look at early Dua performances, there she's struggling a little bit it has a little bit of like uh Britney Spears mall tour quality yes. to it 
But this album cycle, I have been incredibly impressed by how she has upped the entire package of Dua Lipa. The visuals are there. The fashion is there. Uh, she did Studio 2054, which I'm nominating for our quarantine performances. Uh, she had so much going on. She also did all the late night shows pretty early on in quarantine where she was figuring out ways to use green screens and still do the circuit as a pop star. And this album, I think, is so much fun and joy back to back. The song Physical, I think, is my number one favorite song of the year. And again, it's pretty clear what it's referencing. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I already like Olivia Newton-John. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. really excited for somebody to reinterpret that and bring it into a different sound. And yeah, this album, I just thought it brought me a lot of joy. And I had put it on the back burner a little bit, but then when uh, Studio 2054 came out, I w watched it by myself at home and I had smoked a bunch of weed and I was lying down and halfway through it, I just got up and started dancing and I danced for a half hour just watching it by myself in my apartment. And I felt great when I was done. I was sweaty and I felt like I had been at the club alone <laughs> yeah oh I, I know what you mean yeah what did you think of this album so I think even just on this podcast I've had an interesting journey with her because at during that time that you're talking about when she hadn't like quite figured it out like I never had any hope for her I was like there's no this girl is going to live forever on the internet as a meme like she really truthfully almost was at that point where she was just like she was Dula Peep, like she was just a meme. She was like a, the girl that you make fun of because she couldn't dance and she was a mess. And like you said, the choreography was simple mm -hmm. and she, it was, a, it was a mess. And then for her to like Uma Thurman her way through learning how to dance and like really like digging her nails into her own career and coming out on the other side of it and becoming one of the most talked about and loved artists of the year I just think is I don't know if we've ever seen anything like it I don't know if you've ever seen somebody in their debut be so sort of shaky and to have like this big huge massive you know uh like exposing to the world and like all this money pumped into her career and for it to be such a mess at the beginning and we all as a as a nation watched her work hard at getting better you know like every performance that she did throughout the her trajectory at the beginning was like her proving that she wasn't a bad dancer and that she could sing live and that her, her choreography got more uh more intricate and more intense and I don't know I just think it's really interesting and the album itself is just so undeniably good it's just such a good pop record and I definitely think, yeah, it's one of the albums that we'll look back on and be like, that was the beginning of so much. You know, I feel like she's one of those girls that like, in a few years, we'll look back and be like, wow, I cannot believe that that was just the beginning for her, you know? You know, I, I have some contradicting thoughts. For Tell me, me everything. I was expecting 
future nostalgia to blow up more than it did. And I thought that she was about to really rock it to like a Taylor Swift 1989 moment. I thought that she was like clawing her way like off of the fame and into the fame monster. Mm, Okay. I thought she was going to go into the next stratosphere with this record. But if you look back, she, during that period, while she had not the biggest pop culture presence, she had radio hit after radio hit after radio hit. And she was massive in all of Europe. Like when they were setting up prior to COVID, the dates had already been announced and the team working on Dua is brilliant. So what they had done is they had set up arena tour throughout the first portion and they hadn't announced the North American, if I'm recalling correctly, because they were going to wait for her to get big enough throughout the course of this album to tour arenas in the States. Well, I think that people had a hard time placing her, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm i going to be honest. I, I didn't expect that she would blow up like that only because I do think even still, I think people had a hard time placing her. And I think, thank God she, for her, thank God she had so much radio play because it forced people to be like, well, I like her music. Like her music's good, you know? Um, I feel like that kind of helped people kind of view her differently but I do think that people even still kind of have a hard time knowing where to place her and like how seriously they should take her yeah yeah for sure I think she didn't have as much of an image cultivated as we are used to with pop stars and I think it's because she's a European model of a pop star Mm -hmm. you know it is more about making club dance music and you become famous by being omnipresent on the radio and in stores and that kind of thing over there. Whereas the American or North American model of being a pop star is much more about the image in the model of Madonna. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah, totally. I'm really fascinated with her career. And there's a few things that are just little tidbits that I can never forget. Uh, She chose her record label based on the fact that they didn't have a young pop star on their roster. She specifically went and I think that it's, I'm gonna, oh, it's Warner. Uh, she's with Warner. And Warner didn't have someone in that lane. They didn't have an Ariana Grande. They didn't have that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And she went to them because they knew that they would pool her resources. And then I, I believe it was for this album, uh, her team bet their entire budget. They took what Warner gave them and spent the entire thing, every last cent of marketing dollars for the whole album on the first single. Wow, that's fucking wild. And then they, the first single, Don't Start Now, did really well and they went back and got more money. That's crazy. Yeah, no wonder her, her, her whole thing has been so sort of like, it's just not what we're used to seeing. Yeah, but like for a second single, like physical, I don't think that that was that big of a song out there in the world, even in comparison to like 
some of her previous album or her, some of her previous singles. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I don't think that physical was as big as like one kiss for sure. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I think that we're like like I said, I think that we're gonna look back at her and sort of like be shocked at this phase of her career that it was ever even like this, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, for I, sure. I think that she'll end up in such a different place when she sort of finds her way. Like she's still really at the end of the day is still sort of figuring it out. Like she's still finding her way. There are a lot of people who still kind of don't even know her. Like they know her music because it plays on the, she has singles that have played on the radio a lot, but they don't like know her. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, even as somebody who has watched all of her music videos for this album and gone to the virtual live show and that kind of thing, and I follow, she's not in celebrity gossip. Not at she all. She doesn't get that much in terms of profiles and her appearances aren't super memorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's likable in my opinion when I see her on a radio show or that type of thing, but she doesn't have that one thing where you're like, that's what Dua Lipa's like. Totally. She's not like, um, especially in the sense of like how you have to be like a Gen Z pop star now, like she's not Billie Eilish. You know what I mean? She's not doing carpool karaoke. She's not doing Vanity Fair YouTube videos. And she's just not that girl. Like, I don't, I, I like, I don't feel, like I said, I don't think people really like know her in that way that it's required now <laughs> to really hit that, that level of fame where everybody loves you and, and your album blows up. Like, I feel like Gen Z requires a little of some real intense, like, we need to know you. Like, we really need to fucking know everything about you. At least be able to know what your personality is like and what you think is funny. Yeah. In terms of figuring out where she is at in her career, you know, like on ATRL, they would say main pop girl. Mm. Would you call her a main pop girl? Yeah, I guess I would now. Yeah, okay. Like, yeah. you see her as being on the same playing field as Ariana Grande. Ugh, it's so weird to say, but yeah, I do. Yeah, not necessarily that she is as big of a star as Ariana Grande, but yeah. she's in the category of main pop girl like Ariana. Yeah, I would say so, for sure. Yeah, and th- this is a major ascent then. Yeah, for sure. Fantastic. All right. Do you have any other thoughts on future nostalgia? No, but my next pick kind of plays into it. <laughs> Fantastic. I feel like I I feel like you're maybe about to troll me. No, no, okay. not at all. Okay, okay, so she was on my list, but like at the bottom of my list. Okay. And then late in the year, I allowed myself to get really high and lay in bed with my headphones and listen to Rena Sawayama's full album. Oh, can we talk? And this is the one I'm the most excited to talk about. Okay, Troy, I am so irritated because I'm coming in. I'm like, I'm like, these are basic white gay picks. Like they're really mainstream. And you're like, I'm going to pick the cool girls this year. (laughs) (laughs) No, you just blew my shit up. Are like, you kidding? Oh Bad friend, Comme de Garçon, when she sings about Calabasas, everything. Russ, I was like, this album was made, this, she wants these songs to be the theme song for my podcast, obviously. Like, this is, first of all, 
Okay, for anybody who doesn't know her, because I don't think that she's like- Yeah, no, I don't think, I think that many, many people listening to this probably won't know her. Okay, so Rena is a Japanese artist from the UK, and she was known, sort of like a Charlie, where she was like one of those girls that would release a lot of singles on the internet, and she would just put out like random pieces of work, and they would be really cool, and you know, people loved her just based on these- this mishmash of songs that she had just like on the internet. And then she released this game-changing album in April on the day of my birth, by the way. And it is just, it's a fucking gut punch the minute you press play because it's, and I'll explain the reason that I ended up taking Dua Lipa off before her. This album sounds like nothing I have ever heard in my life and it's aggressively catchy it like catchy in a way that you're like wow this is like truly coming from my scalp but it also is 100% unapologetically influenced by the TRL era of pop music like it's late 90s early 2000s nostalgia and it's like this is future nostalgia like i've never heard anything that sounds like this but it also it sounds like the music that fucking raised me. And it's not just like, the thing that I love about this album is that it's not only inspired by, you know, obviously it's it references like Britney and Christina and all of the pop girls and NSYNC, but it also, you hear like deep cuts. This isn't like an album that was like, I like Baby One More Time. So I'm gonna like, making a song that kind of sounds like it. No, this is a song, a girl that was like, I like email my heart (laughs) and I'm going to make me a fucking pop album for the girls. Like it is inspired by like Willa Ford and Dream and Destiny's Child. Like this is, and also by the way, not even, I'm going to stop rambling in a second, I swear. It's not even just inspired by the pop girls. She took TRL and put it in a blender and said, guess what else I like? P.O.D. and Corn. Like, it's new metal, it's bubblegum pop, it's 90s, it's innovative, it's, it is the moment, it is the future. We live, like I stand. Ugh, yes. I, I'm glad that you got to the new metal references because <laughs> that is what really hit me. Like it really, TRL in a blender is a fantastic way to describe this album because it's like throw in a little bit of Avril and Ashley. And yes. then we're going to toss in like Slipknot and Kitty. <laughs> yes, and then totally. we're going to just like take everything that they didn't put on Jessica Simpson's album and just like toss that in there. All, all yeah. of the extras, whatever you got, throw it in. Like it is fucking apple bottom jeans boots with the fur it is low-rise jeans thong pulled up on the hip it is like this is truly the way that the girls try and reference early 2000s when they're like y2k aesthetic like no this is really it for real and she is the exact opposite of dua in terms of i know exactly who she is yes like i saw one picture of her and was like i get it totally i see like she's in very cool like like a publication like id that kind of thing because she was a model before she made her money modeling and uh i think probably has spent some of it uh making sure that the music that she is making is done right it doesn't feel to me entirely funded by a record label do you know what i mean totally uh because it is good 
it not only does it have taste, but it has production and the music videos have production. And I just can't imagine a record label hearing this mix of sounds and being like, yeah, we're going to spend out the way that it feels like this has been spent out on. Yes. Uh, but she is so cool. Her Instagram is amazing. She's so visual. She's always changing up her look. She's really smart. She speaks very intelligently uh, about being Asian, but specifically about being British. Mm -hmm. Uh, She, did you see when she got into it? uh, She released a statement over, I think the Brit Awards. I don't think so. There was some award that she was not being considered for, uh, because I guess she wasn't, I think she was born in Japan. Oh yeah, yeah, she was born in Japan and then they moved to the UK. But like she is through and through like a British woman. And totally. I, like, I believe she's a, a citizen of England and has lived there her whole life uh, essentially or from the time she was eight or something like that. Uh, and she wasn't being considered. And I was like, in what world does this album not one of the best British albums of the year? That's insane totally. and racist. That is wild. I mean, this is like, I mean, you could hear it in my voice. I, I, I was like, this is one of those albums that hit me so hard. Like, I could not believe what I was hearing. And it just felt so, to be honest, like, to be a narcissist, a narcissist for a second, it felt, it felt like it was made for me. Mm. I was like, this is the, an album that I've, like, dreamt of, but I didn't know I was dreaming of it. And it also is interesting because all of that nostalgia and throwback and all of that stuff is sort of tied in this like, like Asian pop idol thing. Like there's this like 90s Asian pop idol sound where it's like almost a parody of Asian pop idols. Like it's just so layered. The sound is just like, it makes you think so deeply about all the things that it's inspired by because it's so just well done I just like literally brava chef's kiss like yeah. I I really hope that she continues to work at this level because by the way this is a debut album yeah I mean like that is crazy she's been putting out music for the past seven years or eight years but this is the first time that it is a full LP and it's a vision like you can tell that this yeah. is the album she wanted to make totally it it feels so it just feels so specific to her like you'll never hear any other person you'll hear a lot of girls try and make an album like this and try and pull references like this but not be brave enough to be like no I don't want I don't want to make an album that's inspired by Bills 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 I want the deep cuts on the Destiny's Child album like I want the weird deep cuts that I remember listening to in my room like it's very it's it's just so good right I hate that you are bringing these records to the table and making me feel just like lame and basic. Cause I was no, like- No, we almost have the same list. No, you're, you putting Charlie and Rena in makes your list very different from mine. <laughs> I don't think, well, first of all, I, I, I know, I don't know Charlie because of you, but like, I know Charlie because of you, kind of. So. Uh, okay. Do you have any last thoughts on, on Rena? It's Sawayama. Yeah, Sawayama. I would say if you're listening to this podcast, if you are a fan of this podcast, it's a direct 
it's a direct, especially during like the X Tina. Like I've been talking about TRL so much. Like listen to this fucking album. I'm telling you, there's no person listening to this podcast that would not like the music. That's I can guarantee it. It will change your life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Troy. Um, okay, my next is just like so obvious. It's why I'm here today. I'm assuming. I know, uh, I know, actually, you messaged me and told me the there was a uh, listener request. So yeah, people message me a lot and say like, "You and Russia do another Gaga episode. Like, where's the next Gaga episode?" So here's the moment. Uh, here it is. Here is the planet Chromatica. Uh, <laughs> At this point, I have been a Lady Gaga super fan for so long that I'm very uncritical of the Mm. work. I have my thoughts and opinions on it, but like, is this an album that I think other people should listen to or one that I would qualify as good? I have no idea. Totally, I get that. Is the album I wanted from her. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is the album that she has been waiting to make since Art Pop. Uh, this is the return to form that people wanted. Uh, This was it. This was the one. And it really fulfilled what I wanted to get from her as a fan to the point that I had given up on this type of album coming. Mm, Like I think that when we spoke last year, I was like, make a stadium rock album. Yeah, we've talked, it's so funny. Like we've talked so much about what her next album would be. And it's just like crazy that it happened and it feels like a fever dream that it happened. Yes, absolutely. And I will say there were many points of this year when I was pissed off with her and with the rollout of this album and the lack of content around it and the positioning and the maneuvering. But the album itself, sonically, Mm -hmm. I love it. I'm obsessed with it. I can't wait until the Chromatica Ball. I went to a drag show on Zoom where they performed every number. I will be dragging my ass to the club at some point. I may throw my own party so that I can listen to it front to back. Totally. I am going to dance. Yeah. It's going to feel, I mean, it's going to feel so good to be able to listen to this in a fucking club. Like, oh my God. Because it's club music. Yeah, totally. And right before the album dropped, she released an entire playlist of the songs. It was essentially like the map to the album. And it was a bunch of house music from the 90s. It was a bunch of stuff that really informed this style of music. Mm. It, again, laid the cards on the table and said, this is what I'm biting from. And I think that's very smart, again, because people are like, well, it sounds like like this Madonna album is like, no, the girls are pulling the same dresses from the back of the house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, there are only a certain number of Dior dresses that are kept in an archive. Right. And the same people are invited to tour the archive and borrow a dress. Yeah. Anyways, yes. that's 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 my rant. No, Let's I talk about Chromatica a bit. <laughs> I'm on a ten. <laughs> ah, listen, it feels it feels good. It's like really uh, relaxing for me to hear somebody else <laughs> do that on this podcast. That was like actually really nice for me. Um, no, I agree with you. I, I think it's like at this point, you know, as the 
uh, the obvious, def the definitive error to Madonna's throne. It's like, how long are we going to be doing this? And by the way, I am guilty of it. Like every once in a while, I'll still, the only, the only time that I ever make those Madonna comparisons is when I hear people say like, nobody, like when people, there are younger people who think in their, truly in their heart that Lady Gaga is the first person to do many things. Yes. And like that bothers me because I'm like, baby, you have to do your research. Like you have to like, you have to not say that out loud. <laughs> you can't say that out loud, not around me. <laughs> um, so that drives you crazy. But no, I this, this album also to me, by the way, is obviously on my list, of course. And it also feels like a, ch a real chapter in quarantine. This was like a, a different chapter of like the whole thing. And just like that feeling of being still scared, but at that point more so sort of like stir crazy and just like, I need to do something. Like I need to dance, I, you know, like just the, the feeling of missing human contact and like listening to this album, like I'll never forget listening to this and like fantasizing about what it would be like to listen to it with a big group of like my friends, you know? Yeah. Um, just like, I don't know. It just brings up so many weird emotions that I think will always be tied to it. Yeah, this was, I have a friend that I listened to it with on Zoom uh, because we have not not listened to a Gaga album for the first time together since Heart Pop came out. Heart yeah. Pop, we listened to, and every single one we've listened to together. Uh, it, it was weird. Uh, yeah, can I pick some bones? Sure. So the music video for Stupid Love, not bad, not in love with the aesthetic. Okay, all right. Uh, overall, it's fun, it's fine, it's a cute music video, uh, but I saw a drag queen post on Facebook pointing out all of the items and where you can buy them. <laughs> and girl, they're cheap. And throughout Gaga's aesthetic history, there have been moments where really great pleaser shoes or a ripped up pair of tights or just a t-shirt. Like they don't, the things don't have to be expensive, but everything styled on bodies for that looked cheap to me. I agree. That's bone pick number one. Uh, I literally have a list. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to hear it. <laughs> the missed opportunity of sour candy mm. is so bad to me. Yeah. Number one, they dropped it one week, uh, one day, sorry, before, when they could have dropped it one week before. That was a guaranteed top 10 hit. Yeah. It might not have stayed in the top 10 for more than a week. But if she would have a, at the time in South Korea, things were doing well because South Korea's government locked shit down and they had been actually open again. The girls could have gone and filmed their part and they could have done a moment where Gaga did like Charlie, as in Charlie's angels on a phone, video phone sort of thing or something, they could have very easily done a great music video for that, uh, at least something. But right. I also think that this album was the first of Gaga's career designed to stream well. 
and to get good streaming numbers. The mm-hmm. songs are short. The features are people who have high streaming numbers on Spotify. And I think it's kind of a, a, a cheap move and B, a culturally, the optics of it. I don't like the cultural optics of bringing in a global force in Korean pop and Korean culture and K-pop culture onto your album and then not giving it a moment to shine. I agree with that, especially when on its own, it had so much cultural relevance. Like everybody was talking about that song just based on how good it was. Yeah, I, I really think that she should have done something special with those girls to honor that song more than she did. Even when she did like Zane Lowe, she barely talked about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It just feels like a little bit of cultural tourism to bring someone on, but then not foreground that feature in any way. Yeah, I agree with that. And just like, it's dumb economics. Yeah, it's just stupid. It's a, it's, it is a real major missed opportunity. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, and then I thought that I'm always a little bit suspect as like you are of celebrity motives. And I thought that she played off a huge financial decision. Like it was all about what was in her heart in terms Mm -hmm. of delaying the album. Mm -hmm. And I thought what she did with that fundraiser was obviously great. Raised a lot of money to pump into uh, looking for a vaccine And I thought the show itself was fine. It was a little saccharine for my taste, but a good thing. I'm not going to knock her for doing that, but I don't feel like she cared for her fans very well in that time. I don't think she communicated with them very much. I don't think she talked about the album very much. She didn't provide them any other content. And then when the album came out, she didn't promote it. Uh, she got hit the first week that the album came out uh, was really soon after George Floyd and it was a time of civil unrest and she declined doing some interviews. Great, fine, wonderful. What the fuck is wrong with three weeks later? Yeah, I agree with that. It felt very, you know, it felt like we were watching them just sort of wing it for the most part. Like they were just winging it, it felt like. And I just feel like they didn't get creative the way that Dua Lipa and her team did. Or like some of the other, like we were seeing Charlie had made a whole album. You're telling me that you couldn't come up with a music video? Like, come on. All we're going to get is, it just felt like so little. I'm like, so we're going to not have the Chromatica ball until TBD 2023 at this point, And you're not going to come up with a concert special that you film yourself. You're not going to do a virtual show. You're going to do one performance at the VMAs. And that's the only time that we're going to touch this music. To be honest with you, and I don't know if this is true or not, but in my heart, it really did sort of watching all of it play out. It felt like Gaga had a hard time adapting to these like yeah to these restrictions whereas like you know Dua had not been releasing albums traditionally for like a decade you know what I mean yeah like Gaga I don't think was able to connect to this album the way that she probably felt 
like she would because she couldn't tour it traditionally and put it out into the world in the way that she, in the only way that she had known how, which, yeah. you know, it was the same for everybody, but like really for her, I mean, this is like the first album she's put out in a, in a decade that she hasn't been able, you know, good, bad or ugly, not been able to really perform or tour. I don't know, I, I, it just felt like, it did feel like a lot of missed opportunity. And I also- I felt there was a lack of creativity. Yeah, a, a real lack of creativity. For sure. That's a, that's a better way to put it. It was, there was a lack of creativity for sure. You know, you have a studio, you have a property, you have a mansion, you have green screens. You could have at least done photo shoots. There were so few fashion moments for this in comparison to the amount of fashion that we are traditionally used to getting to surrounding an era for Gaga. Totally. Uh, and I don't know, I just like in my head, I was like, I can come up with a hundred different things. Like she did uh, show up at club quarantine, but it was like a pretty short uh, flash of time. She came for a few minutes every once in a while during the night. And I was like, I don't know. You started your career by going to every gay bar in America and touring there. Now that the gay bars are all closing because of this pandemic, why don't you do something where you have a drag show in every city and you do one virtual performance for each song in the album you send them out to 12 gay bars around the United States. You have the girls at the different bars perform the songs and every night goes to raising money to fund the people who lost their jobs at that bar, you know? Yeah, totally. I can spitball like a thousand ideas that she could have done. And what she came up with was in a few months, I'll film a music video, go to the VMAs. And after releasing an awesome video for 911, just pretend like nothing happened. It's really confusing. And that's why I wonder, I mean, I've said this on the podcast before and some, it's like, there's such a, a, a large part of me that wonders when Gaga releases music, especially after art pop, Mm. how much of it is coming from, how much of what we're seeing and hearing is coming from a genuine place versus her feeling like it needs to be some sort of next phase or step, or this is what they'll want to see. This is what they need to see from me at this moment to get here kind of thing. Like, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. I think that she had a master plan. This I have heard was supposed to be a blockbuster album. They had the rollout planned to the T. They had the magazine covers in place. They had everything and everything fell apart. And I just feel like they weren't able to move quickly with the culture. Yeah. And when things came into place, they just went silent. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I guess, I mean, there's a part of me that kind of feels like, I don't know, it's like you can't, I almost feel like you can't blame her for not being able to keep up with the insanity of, especially that specific time. Because again, it's like, it's so weird. It feels like this, it feels like this has been happening for a decade now. (laughs) Like that chapter of the pandemic was so intense and like, I don't know. it, It, yeah, it, it makes me sad and I know that one day we'll all be like wasted and sweaty and jumping up and down in a a nightclub to this album but like 
it does feel like there was just so much potential missed. Yeah. I don't did I just shit all over an album that I chose? I think so. <laughs> I'm like, did you like it at all? <laughs> yes, I like it so much. 911 is amazing. Replay's good. I like Alice. Honestly, I even like the cheesy moments. I think a thousand doves is like gorgeous. A cool sort of New Jersey beat. Yes. I'm into it. <laughs> yeah, I, the whole album's great. I, but I love Gaga as a pop star. And right. I feel like she retreated from being a pop star so many times this year. I agree with that. It, I agree with that. I, in my heart, feel like she probably almost wishes that they would have just shelved the whole thing and just waited for things to kind of shake out. You know what yeah. I mean? Because there's a world where like, you know, she could do like drive-in performances of, of this album or whatever, you know, pandemic safe performances, but we weren't there yet, really. Like that's all sort of so new. I, I don't know. Yeah, and I guess like in my heart, she is still a 22-year-old girl. Right. Who is able to take a dollar and a dream and squish two things together out of a thrift store and put on a show holding her own disco ball above her head. Right. And she's just not that girl anymore. She is a businesswoman who fancies herself a global th philanthropist. Yes. So, you know, we're all growing up and far be it from me to say that she shouldn't be trying to help save the world. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think when it comes to pop stars like Gaga, it's like, you know, she's at that point now where she is just full entity. She's no longer a human person. And you know what I mean? So yeah, it's like, I don't blame her for not being able to Taylor Swift through the fucking pandemic and be like, you know, thinking three years ahead, calculated as fuck. Like, you know, maybe she's just not that girl anymore. Troy, what has happened from last year to this that I am airing my grievances with Gaga and talking about the things that I loved about Taylor Swift? <laughs> Look, pan the pandemic changed us. We are all different people. Uh, is this next album your last album? <laughs> um, yeah, that was my last album. Gaga that was, was last your last album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, Chromatica was yes. as well. Okay. Yeah. So you have no more. I have one more. Okay, yeah, yeah, you, it's your turn. Uh, my favorite album of the year is Kylie Minogue's Disco. Oh, fun! Oh my God, I'm so happy that you added this. Yeah, uh, honestly, my number one album of the year. It is so fun. And it came at a time when I needed to have fun. And it is just a real pick-me-up album. The album feels like you're on an antidepressant and it just like lifts your whole body up and you dance and I can play it anywhere that I go as I walk around and it just makes me smile from ear to ear. It is the best. Kylie Minogue is so fucking cool because she's just so seasoned at this point. She's so... Kylie Minogue is so unfazed by anybody else. She's just so 
in her own lane and she does what she does so fucking well you know and like I just she's just like such a a a living treasure I actually just recently got bored the other night and I watched the Aphrodite tour on YouTube oh my god like that woman's brain needs to be studied like she is just on another fucking level and yeah this album is just so it's just so fun it's so good yeah uh and it plays uh, almost like evermore you can play it from front to back and it's sort of a one piece listen agreed yeah yeah very much there that. isn't too many different moods or notes on the album and some will definitely criticize that's just like a joy for me i was like yeah in the words of kylie more 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 right (laughs) i agree i i sort of feel like that's her gig though i feel like that's like the kylie albums that i love i don't have skips i just sort of look at them as one piece of work that's so synchronized and so like it just feels like such a complete album like it i don't know it's like i there's no song that i'm like oh i can't listen to this one have you ever done a kylie episode no i've never done a kylie episode holy f try i know as a like listener and longtime fan i (laughs) would like to request one i would love nothing more like i would love nothing more than than to sit here and, and for an hour express why she's so fucking magical yeah and uh, there are twists and turns in kylie's career like like impossible princess i think would be a really cool one to discuss yeah uh i've gotten more into that album this uh this year it's essentially her art pop uh it was not very well received critically and it took a lot of chances and i really like it i think it's cool and I think Kylie's great. At this point, like, this is sacrilegious for me to say, but, like, I think Kylie's shitting all over Madonna. Oh, 1,000%. Because Kylie, that's what I mean. Madonna is so, desperate like, desperate. To, she's just so desperate to appear young or to appear with it and to uh, doing whatever. And Kylie's over here like, oh, the girls are going to make disco? I know a thing or two about disco. Totally. <laughs> Yeah, and she puts her Kylie spin on it, and it sounds yeah. like something only she could make. And she's just in her own lane and like not concerned. Like, you know, it's like it's wild that in a year where disco was so heavily influenced, like it influenced everybody so heavily, Kylie literally did an album unapologetically centered around disco, and it still feels different than everybody else's music. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I it was such a funny year for disco. I thought some things got labeled disco that weren't. Like there was an article in Billboard that talked about Chromatica as being part of a disco resurgence, and I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, no. I don't think so. I don't think so. No. Future nostalgia, definitely. Uh, Jesse Ware's album, one thousand uh, percent. Maybe even. Uh, more on the nose disco than Kylie's disco. Uh, but yeah, Kylie just really brought me exactly what I needed. And every year that passes, I am more interested in Kylie and her career and excited for what she brings next. Right. And I'm really excited 
that there is a pop star of this age who is just standing on her own and feeling in her power and wonderful. And she doesn't need to light the whole entire globe up, but she beat out Little Mix on the UK chart. It's like, she's just like, honestly, so the girls should look to her for inspiration so much more than they do. They really should. I, I feel like Kylie is cast aside in this way, maybe just because I live in the States and it, I'm, you know, I'm sure it's like different here, but it's like, she just feels so cast aside. Like her contribution to pop music is not as on the tip of everybody's tongue and the way that it is with somebody like a Madonna. And she's just given us so much pop culture. And continues to. Continues to do it. Bless. Should we do honorable mentions? Yeah, I would love to. Uh, yours are from prior 2020. Is that, am I understanding correctly? Um, or do you have a mix? No, actually, you know what? I stuck, I stuck to, uh, I only have a few. I stuck okay. to 2020. They were just ones that I couldn't add just because. Cool. Um, so my first honorable mention is Haim. Okay. Uh, I wanted to add that album, but it just didn't, I don't know. I love it. I mean, I've listened to it a million times. It's easy listening it's a definite, like, I think, step up from their, well, I don't know, I really love their first album, but this feels like a really great continuation. Um, I just love them. I really enjoy them as a band. I think their music is really fun to listen to, and I think they're good songwriters. I just love them. Excellent. Uh, I'm not on the train. Uh, I don't like them. (laughs) (laughs) I hate them. Uh, my boyfriend really likes them. I don't think they're bad. Uh, I find their branding and image of like dirty haired rich girls yeah. to be like, not for me. Yeah, I get it. Uh, the music itself <laughs> I think is good and they're probably nice ladies, but it. Like, you remember when the Strokes came out and everyone was like, they're just models with guitars? Yes. I have a bit of a thing where I was like, they just seem like really privileged, like LA white girls who have really been given a lot. And I don't think that you should also get the like sheen of being untouchably cool. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they, they weirdly, and I, they fell into that whole like we're fashion girls kind of thing. Like they have such an aesthetic and it's such like a forced aesthetic. Like they look so styled all the time. Yeah. Um, it's like a sassy magazine make under. Totally. Forever. Totally. It's totally, yeah. It's like very like, yeah, sassy magazine, like paper magazine kind of gig. Yeah. I, I mean, I understand that grievance for sure. But their music itself, uh, this most recent album I did listen to the whole way through. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. I liked it. It was good. Yeah, it's good. It's a good yeah. album. Yeah. Their previous music, not as much in love with. I liked this album quite a bit. The cover was really cool. They're in a deli, right? Yes. I liked it a lot. Yeah. I have some nice things to say. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet girls. What nice girls. I just have a lot of bones to pick. I think I've just been sitting alone and my boyfriend's very tired of hearing. <laughs> Beautiful gowns. Gorgeous gowns. I like the girls. Uh <laughs> My next honorable mention was uh, Kid Cudi because oh. I couldn't put it on my top list. I am a like hard 
hardcore Kid Cudi fan. Like, it's crazy. And I, like, bleed for him fully. Um, and he released a, a continuation of his Man on the Moon thing that he's been doing for, like, a decade. Okay. And, you know, Kid Cudi releasing an album always feels like he's one of those artists that like for his fans not to say that he's on the same level but it has that sort of Fiona thing where you're like oh my god get Cuddy release an album you just download it you just listen to it you listen to the whole thing you just take it all in whatever it is like that's very much his gig and yeah Kid Cuddy released a really good album this year that is introspective and and dark and deep and moody and about depression and anxiety and all the things that you love to hear Kid Cudi rap about that all the other all the other girls wish they could so well and he just does it with just like he it's just I could listen to Kid Cudi hum and moan on an album for hours okay heck yes I will go and listen to that uh, yeah. I I know a lot of people who are very into Kid Cudi but I I've never like wandered over into it since like 2008 or 9 when we're like day and night yeah, I'll, I'll send you, I will Charlie XCX you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kid Cudi, cool. and yeah, it's good. And then my last honorable mention was Brandy. The album from this year? Yeah, Brandy released a fucking album. Oh, no, no, I- no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I such a bitch today? I love Brandy. <laughs> I'm like, um, yeah, um, yeah, Brandy releasing a fucking album this year. Like, literally just flee Lisa Simpson. Um, yes, Brandy... The album itself is not like perfect by any means, uh-huh. but it's, you know, Brandy is referred to as the vocal Bible and Brandy does not, for younger people, I don't think they understand the level at which Brandy has influenced all of the R&B girls um, and mm. even people outside of R&B. Like when it comes to layering your voice in a studio, Brandy has basically patented a way of doing that. And she's the reason for so many albums that sound the way that they sound uh and I just and this is an album where like she's leaning into that it's just her layering all of these fucking crazy vocals that turn into a sound somehow and it's so beautiful and weird and it's like only she can do it and the album itself is not perfect by any means but it's just like it's if you like brandy it's just a celebration of brandy of brandy's career basically (laughs) (laughs) did not like that album Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i i hope that i have spoken about brandy on this podcast because i love brandy's first two albums uh and respect her whole career and there are things that are on this album that are good the cover's really amazing oh my god that fucking gold seven on her face uh and when the cover came out i was like hell yes new brandy record i am ready it's gonna be amazing and it just wasn't what i wanted the music video uh made me worried more so than anything yeah did you watch it yeah yes uh, I was like, oh, you're going through some things. For sure. I feel unable to help you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm throwing in an extra uh, bonus recommendation. Mine are all songs. So they're uh, quicker, but 
be if you like brandy as i do there is an artist j dot scott uh just the letter j uh a young queer black artist who has a song that includes a line uh that is i want to be down like brandy and is biting so hard so specifically on that first brandy record Mm half a brown half a cream you remember the cd oh my god don't you ever don't even bring it up uh but yeah j.scott scott uh put out an ep this year that is really cool and very influenced by that uh time uh mine is going to be uh do it uh chloe and hallie oh cool okay perfect i thought that uh is it I now I have Impossible Princess in my head. I was going to call it Impossible Hour. Is it Unholy Hour? Unholy Hour, yeah. I thought Unholy Hour is really good. It had some sort of Destiny's Child mm-hmm. uh, vibes to it, like early Destiny's Child. Yeah, uh, like first album. Yeah. Chloe and Hallie, I'm really excited for. They had amazing performances this year. Their look is so clean, like really well styled. Uh, but uh, it's it's a clean version of busy if that totally. makes any sort of sense like they do a lot with their style but the styling of it all is very pristine it is all very under the house of beyonce mm-hmm. and i am <laughs> the house of darion <laughs> <laughs> i am very excited to see what they do next i feel like this album was a stepping stone towards something that's going to be really good I agree. I think that we're, everybody's going to, like, I feel like they're very niche right now, but I feel like everybody's going to know them in the next few years. Yeah. And I want R&B to come back into the mainstream. Agreed. Like, it has been so long since R&B has been big in the mainstream and all of the like legendary 90s singers who are putting out songs now are getting abysmal numbers for music that's like not bad right totally and the new r&b is really exciting and really good but not getting it doesn't have much legs and i think that chloe and hallie could bring r&b into the center point of culture sometime in the next five six years you know, I think the really big major problem, I, I think the issue with that honestly dates back like 15 or 20 years, because I think R&B was so appropriated by pop music mm. when we were younger that there's a, you know, there are like at least two generations of people that don't even have a real clear understanding of what R&B is because they don't understand that all of that music from the 90s and the early 2000s was just white people singing like R&B songs. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's crazy. It's like the corporation of white people acquired the music of R&B and absorbed yeah. it into the company. But all of the people who were from the company just got pushed away to the sidelines until they were fired or packaged up. <laughs> That's literally the best analogy ever. Yeah, like for sure. And now it's like, people don't even know that the music they were listening to was inspired by R&B. They think that it's just pop music. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, no... Like the Backstreet Boys is just boys to men. Like no, <laughs> like it was all R and B, you know. But yeah, I agree. I would really love, I would love like a big R and B year. Oh, I would love that. Oh my Ugh. god. 
Me too. Uh, my next song is R&B as well. Uh, it's Tafari Anthony, uh, Centerfold. Fun. Do you know Tafari? Yes. I, oh, you do? Amazing. Okay, cool. Uh, Tafari's from Toronto. I don't know if I'm saying his name right because it's one of those things like a fashion label where I have only <laughs> yeah. ever read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but like I follow him on Instagram and I included him. He did an interview with me earlier this year about uh, what he was doing for Pride. He did a really cool show that he filmed in his living room and uh, had a drag artist come and interview him. And it was just I love everything about him. Uh, go look him up. Hometown hero. Really, really, really great song centerfold. Like, I feel like it could be a pop hit. Like, I've listened to the song so many times this year. And yeah, that's why I, like, I'm pissed that Gaga can't do things. When I was like, listen, yeah. this guy is over here in Toronto doing this in his living room, figuring it the F out. Totally. With all of your money up in Malibu in your mansion, you can't figure out like something to feed the children. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, go and listen to that centerfold. My last one is uh, King Princess, Cheap Queen. Okay. Uh, King Princess is sort of a young queen of the queer women. And it's a, for me personally, a stopover as I'm waiting for the next Lord album. Uh, it's very moody. My boyfriend came over so many times throughout the year and is like, why are you listening to this same King Princess album and watching Valley of the Dolls on mute? And I'm like, because I'm depressed and I need my dolls. <laughs> like, I need my dolls, gal. <laughs> Uh, it's a moody, wonderful song. The whole album uh, is great if you're in sort of a, a down around the house feeling sad for yourself sort yeah. of a moment. Hmm, I could find myself there in the next day or so. <laughs> uh, um, you want to talk about some performances? Yeah, so I thought that it would be fun to close this out by naming a queen of quarantine. Mm -hmm. And uh, together we came up with a few. Uh, Kylie Minogue's Infinite Disco, Dua Lipa's Studio 2054, Taylor Swift's Long Pond Sessions. That's right, right? Yes. That's the title? Wait, uh, yes. I just call it Folklore Sessions. Okay, I think it's the Long Pond, though. You're right, though. It is the Long Pond. Yeah. It's the, the studio. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Lady Gaga's VMA Tricon performance uh, and Chloe and Halley's Today Show performance. Okay, so I also wrote down Chloe and Halley's Today Show performance. Iconic. So good. Stun. Um, definitely tailors the the sessions. Um, I So I wrote down some like specific ones. If yes, yes, yes. You guys haven't watched Miley perform Doll Parts on mm. Howard Stern. It feels like it, literally it was like it has taken Miley this long to be able to perform that song with the emotion she performed it. And the lyrics speak so much to Miley Cyrus that it was just like one of the most incredible things I have literally ever fucking seen in my life. And um, this isn't technically a live performance, but I wrote down Brandy and Monica verses. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Okay. That was a high point of my 2020. I feel like, that was also something that I didn't even know I was waiting for. And then it happened and I was like, oh, okay. Like, why has this never happened before? Um, so powerful, so moving to see them talk through all of their issues as they're listening to their music. And just like, literally just two queens like sitting on a fucking throne together being like, we did that. 
Like the industry pinned us together and we fucking did that. And we came out on the other side and, you know, amazing, iconic. Brilliant. Um, yeah, I don't know. Should we like say some things about Fiona? Uh, Do you feel like we are done? Are I we, feel like done at all. I feel like if we end with Fiona, we'll we'll, we'll end on a bummer note. That's very true because Fiona made everybody. It was yeah, it's, yes, yes. Yeah. the only thing that I will say about Fiona is that if you haven't like indulged it, like really, yes. now would be a good time. And if you're a Fiona Apple fan, I'm sure you've already listened to it, but maybe you're not. And listen to Fiona Apple. There's a reason that everybody shut themselves off from the world and listened to that album together at the same time. Like there's a reason. If you can put on a pair of good headphones, go for a walk and Mm -hmm. listen to it front to back. Yeah, that's good advice. It's good headphones music. You need to hear all the weird sounds and stuff in the background and her dog barking and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think that we should close it out by just like praying for R9. (laughs) Oh my God, yes. (laughs) As as we've done before, by the way. (laughs) This time last year, we're like, it's coming soon. Yeah, like 2020 (laughs) is everybody's year, including Rihanna. so fucking stupid i know russ this was so fun thank you so much for doing this with me this is great uh this is the best i love coming on here i hope that this was a lighter and uh more fun moment than the last one and i hope that when i come back on in four to six months things are drastically better in the world yes yes i hope that i am pumped full of vaccine honey um well russ told (laughs) sorry what were you saying i want that dolly vax and i want to i want to take it out dancing (laughs) russ tell people where they can find you on the internet um, I promoted some random uh, Instagram stuff, but I will say every Monday, uh, not this one coming up, uh, but every Monday generally, I am at twitch.tv slash speakeasytattoo in the background helping out a wonderful drag queen named Bombay and she roasts me and it's a lot of fun it's a trivia show called are you smarter than that pits two drag performers against each other and there will be running jokes about me in the chat so come and troll along with everyone in our community (laughs) fun oh my god yes um well this was like the greatest I mean I couldn't think of a better way to end the year Russ I love you so much I love you too. This was a delight. I can't wait to listen to what is happening in Christina Aguilera's life over the course of the next three to four months. <laughs> listen, we will we will see how long it takes. Lord Jesus, help us. I don't know how long I can, I don't know how, how deep I can really get into like Lotus. I'm going to be honest. Like I may have to call it quits soon, but we'll see. We'll, uh, just pray for me. I'll be listening. (laughs) Well, you guys, happy new year. I hope that you enjoyed this. I hope that you're wasted by now. And uh, we will see you in 2021. Pray for R9. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Dunzo. This podcast is a part of the Solid Listen Network. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Also be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash solid listen for exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McGee, and you can follow the podcast on all forms of social media at DunzoPod. That's D-U-N-Z-O. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.